Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast. Thank you for being here with me today. Man, it is such a gorgeous day today, and it has been, it has been quite a couple of weeks here, uh, quite, a, quite a month, actually, or a couple of months. Uh, so today, I finished my last class in a ritual healing, self-healing program that was um, all about kundalini yoga, which is really um, not what you think it is. It's not yoga poses. It is meditation Breathing specifically designed for healing thoughts, emotions, and bodies. So that was something I don't usually do, and um, coincides really nicely with a book I'm reading by an author I've mentioned quite a few times, I'm sure, Dr. Joe Dispenza. The book is You Are the Placebo. As many of you know, a placebo is a fake pill that people are told is a real pill that will cure them, and that often works. And why? Well, because our minds are the actual placebo. And if your mind reprograms itself to think that you are being healed, you will upregulate genes that are needed to heal you, and you will downregulate genes that are making you sick. This takes uh, belief, you can't just have an affirmation. You have to believe that you are actually healing and feel emotions of healing. And most of us are conditioning ourselves to think the same thoughts over every day, do the same things in the same routine every day. So this 40-day practice for me, which was actually a little bit longer than 40 days because I started early, has been a really profound I have a couple of new habits. I now, um, well, I don't drink alcohol, and I'm actually loving that freedom. I have changed my brain around that. I um, meditate for about 30 minutes every day, and it is not just focusing on my breath. It is a very purposeful, intentional variety of meditations designed to do several things, and so it feels not like a waste of time. It feels like a get-to-do kind of thing. And something that I'm doing every morning that I would have swore I would never do is cold showers. And I'm talking cold showers. You get up, you're cold, getting out of bed. What do you do? You use a dry brush to dry off, uh, brush off the dead skin. You apply almond oil to that new skin, and you gradually get into a freezing cold shower. And every time I do it, I feel like such a a stud for having done it. Like, I just want to high-five myself. I can't believe you just did that. And it's not just to feel like a stud. Um, it actually has lots of healing properties on the endocrine system. And um, that is something that I have been working on repairing ever since my daughter was born and I kind of fried my adrenal glands and ever since I had a hysterectomy and have become a woman in her late 40s. And... Um, you all, if you've been listening to this, you know that I did that uh, a few months ago, 
And um, even though I still have ovaries, uh, my body's going, hey, something's gone here. And it's having to adjust. And so the cold showers are helping, and it's also helping my immune system. Knockwood, I cannot tell you the last time I actually had a cold. I've had a little tickle in my throat here and there, but I am feeling amazing. And I had the best night's sleep last night I have had in months. So it's a gorgeous day here. I am recreating my mind, recreating my body, and it's exciting. And today I want to focus on um, some other things that have happened in my life recently that, um, you know how this works, people. I show up vulnerably. I bring the authentic truth to you and share with you my process. This is not book stuff that I, I mean, I know I wrote a book and everything, but this is stuff I live and breathe to manage my own state, to manage my emotions, to manage my thoughts, to create the life that I want and to help my clients do the same. And don't be surprised if I get a little emotional because I am just like overflowing with love right now. I'm overflowing with love and gratitude. And so let's talk about how this all began. I had the pleasure of getting selected to deliver a two-day program that I actually had to, actually had to create Create and deliver a two-day program for leaders in the arts field to come together in San Diego, La Jolla, San Diego, um, to talk about burnout and stress reduction and renewal and overwhelm. And I had never worked with the arts. I mean, I had a little bit. Um, I have a passion for the arts, and um, I had... Uh, been lucky enough to do some coaching work at the Oakland Museum, and I have a dear friend there who nominated me, and I got to work with leaders in symphonies and uh, theater houses and museums, and it was fabulous. And I got to tell you, they have some stressful jobs. I thought my corporate employees had stressful jobs. But the arts, you take all the stress of corporate life and then you add to it deadlines that cannot be moved, budgets that are so tight, labor that is um, sometimes 70% interns and temporary help, and very low paid. And these people are working sometimes uh, 80 hours a week. So it is very stressful. They are burning out. They are full of guilt for even being stressed and for the conditions that their employees have to work in. So I felt very privileged to be there. And as I was designing the event, I came up with so many wonderful stress relieving techniques. I mean, we had people breathing and visualizing and jumping and dancing and me included, and it was really awesome. But when I was designing it, I told my sponsors, I would like to teach and demonstrate my steer model on the afternoon of the second day. And I said, this is a little bit of a risky proposition because several things have to happen. One, I have to have a courageous person in the room who will give me a meaty topic or else this could kind of flop. I said, two, um, I need enough time. 
I never know what's going to happen in the room. And three, I want to teach people how to do this with each other because there's no way I can get to every person in the room. And I want to put them in threes and have them help each other upgrade thoughts. So it's kind of a free-for-all. I cannot control what topics they bring, how vulnerable they're going to be, how well they follow the instructions and just read the questions and not try and fix each other. But my uh, sponsors got it right away and they agreed. So day two of the seminar, people now pretty much trust me. They understand what this is all about. And I tell them, you now have a lot of techniques to lower stress in yourselves and your organizations. But if you can't shift, if you can't upgrade the thoughts that are leading you and your people to overwhelm, to overcommitting, to perfectionism, if you can't upgrade those thoughts, you will continue down this path to burnout. So I felt it was my duty to help them learn this technique. And if for some reason you have no idea what I'm talking about with the STEER model, please go back and listen to the early episode about the STEER model, which is all about noticing and shifting painful thoughts. Because our results don't magically happen. They begin with a thought that creates an emotion that drives us to take a certain action or inaction, and that produces a result. And sometimes we are not aware of the thought that's doing that, and a lot of times we think that thought is true when it is not. It is a story that we are telling ourselves. So I was in the program, and it was time for a volunteer. I got a volunteer. She was right up at the front, and boy, was she good at this. So she said, well, my topic is, and she knew how to do it in a way that was factual. When you describe the situation, you take out all the adjectives and adverbs, and you just put it out there factually. She said, factually, I just turned 40, and I am recently divorced. Okay, very well done. That is the situation. She said, as to thoughts, that's the T in the STEER model, she said, I have a lot of thoughts, but it pretty much boils down to I'm going to die alone. Wow, you are really good at this. And she and I just had this connection, and we were just laughing as she was doing this. I was giggling with her because she was so good at this. She was on to herself realizing, well, that thought is uh, really stupid because it's really painful. But I believe it, so help me. So everybody's watching, everybody's leaning forward. And I ask her, so what emotions are you feeling when you think that thought. And she came up with fear, grief, despair, and others, but I think despair was pretty, pretty powerful. And I asked her, so what actions or inactions are you taking? She said, well, I'll tell you what inaction I'm taking. I am not doing online dating. She goes, I tried that. It was hella crazy. Not doing that. What actions she was taking was she just got a new job and she was devoting herself to learning and being as good as she could in her job. She was also spending more time with friends and spending time taking care of herself. And I looked at her and I said, those are pretty darn good actions. How are they working for you? What results are you getting? That's the R in the STEER model. And she said, well, actually, um, I'm really enjoying my job. I'm becoming closer with friends and um, I'm getting accolades at my job. They think that I was a good hire, and I'm really moving up the learning curve pretty quickly. 
And um, I said, well, those all seem like pretty good results. What do you think? She says, yeah, actually. So I said, so it seems like all you need to do is upgrade this thought and continue with the actions that you're taking. And she said, I agree. And I said, so please forgive me if this sounds too obvious, but could a possible upgrade be this is my time to invest in me and my job. This is not the time for me to be dating, and that time will come. And you could hear her take a deep breath. She took a sigh, and the next phrase that came out of her mouth, I don't remember what it was, but I remember that it was about half an octave lower than everything else she had said up to this point. And I asked the room after she made her statement, and she was nodding as I was talking. I said, did everybody hear her voice change? And they had. It was quite obvious. It was like she was scattered in pieces. And once she had this realization that she was doing the right thing and that she was going to be okay and that sometime it would come time for her to be open to a partner and to take some actions to bring in a partner and to meet somebody. But right now, she was doing exactly the right thing. And just that awareness helped her feel comfortable. So then I gave people questions to ask each other, and I said, notice their voice. Notice when they feel grounded versus when they feel agitated. And they're up in their head, and they're scattered into pieces. So that was about three weeks ago. And then a week ago, a week and a week and a half ago, I had an interesting experience with a painful, painful thought. Uh, it started with a very positive experience. So maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but one of the things I am working on manifesting in my life is a man, and not just any man, but a life partner that I create an epically beautiful relationship with, where I feel completely seen and held, and accepted, um, and happy. And that's a pretty tall order. But I believe that I will find that. I don't know when I will find that, but I believe I will find that. And it's part of my prayers. Um, it's part of my visualizations. It's part of what I am calling in to my life. And as a way to find that person, I am on online dating. And I had recently renewed my uh, subscription to Match.com, which I don't really like the app that much. It's functionality, but it seems to be the place where people go. And a friend of mine had said, that must be really hard because, you know, you're seeing the same people all the time. And I said, well, yes, that is true, but you never know when somebody new is going to come on. And if you aren't there, you won't see when somebody new comes on. Well, a week and a half ago, somebody new came on, and um, I thought, well, that's a gorgeous physicist, so he's interesting, and he doesn't say what he's looking for, and he doesn't state an age range that he's looking for, so I'm going to assume, cautiously, that um, he just wants to date, and that he's not interested in something serious. So I don't think much about it, and about four days later, I get a message from him. It's a very cordial, polite, kind message. 
And um, I send him a very kind, cordial message back, and we uh, attempt to find a time to speak live. And this week I have my daughter, so I'm very busy with work, I'm very busy with my daughter, I'm almost in a car or on a phone call with a client constantly, and so we're leaving each other voice messages, and I, he leaves me a message, and I also hear that he has an accent. He is not originally from the U U.S. Um, and by the way, I tend to get along very, very well with people who originated from outside the United States. Um, it's just a different mindset, and um, I tend to like that. I like people who are very different from me. I like to expand my horizons, um, and I just like people who haven't grown up in the same system as me. So um, I hear his, we finally find a time to talk. And it's in the evening, my daughter's going to bed. It's a little bit challenging for me to find a time to talk, and I don't tend to do any type of dating activity when my daughter isn't in my house every other week. Uh, but she's growing up, and she understands my goals, and so I have a conversation, and he begins the conversation with, I should tell you before we begin that I'm looking for one person. I don't want to date many people. I'm new here, and I'm looking for a companion. Well, I almost dropped the phone, because that was not something I was expecting. So now my ears are listening with a different context. And had I not been in a slight bit of shock, I would have said, what do you mean by the word companion? What does companion look like to you? But I didn't. I mainly just focused on the one person thing, which is very clear. Okay. So clearly this guy is very popular in online, in his profile. He's getting way too many messages. He tells me he created a protocol that um, filtered it down to by 10% based on people's <laughs> cadence and the words they used, and I've said, of course you did. That's very analytical, and um, it worked. But that also told me I was not the only one that made it through the filter. There were a few that made it through the filter. So we began that conversation where you find out about the person, and you try and find out if there's enough reason for you to meet. Well, let's just say the conversation went very, very well. Uh, we had lots of interests, um, lots of reasons to meet. Um, I heard compliments that were not meant necessarily to flatter me, but were meant to just convey what he was hearing. And I felt incredibly seen and appreciated. Um, and of course, he did not know me, but things that I was, say was saying were obviously making it through. Um, and he was so good at communication that um, he was able to translate that back to me. So we had a lovely conversation, and we agreed that we would meet at my first available time, which I said was Monday. That was my first evening without my daughter. We were planning a trip to Tahoe that weekend. Now, I could, I could have freed myself up the next evening. Um, I could have freed myself up on that Sunday, uh, but I thought... I have my daughter, and if this is meant to be, it can wait until Monday. This was Wednesday night when we talked. So when I set down the phone, let's just tell you what was going on in my system. So I was filled with oxytocin, which is the, the drug. It's actually a neurochemical, neurotransmitter that has to do with connection and being seen. 
and feeling safe and feeling connected. So it's a really yummy neurotransmitter. It does wear off quickly. I was also filled with serotonin, another lovely neurotransmitter that helps you feel like you matter, that helps you feel important. And this person said things to me that made me feel really appreciated. And this person had so many wonderful qualities himself and had so many accomplishments that um, I felt fairly full of serotonin just from being considered interesting by this person. And then I was filled with dopamine. For the next four days, I was running over with dopamine. And dopamine is often misunderstood. People think that dopamine is the pleasure uh, neurotransmitter. Sort of. It's actually the craving pleasure neurotransmitter. So I am craving meeting this person and having a real live chat. And for those of you who haven't been dating in a very long time, you're going to have to stretch your imagination here and imagine something that you are craving, whether it's, I don't know if it's a new restaurant or if it's a job interview, um, something that you really, really want. Maybe it's a vacation that you're looking forward to. But dopamine was meant to help us seek out things that would satisfy our craving. So, you know, in ancient times, it was about finding that blackberry bush, searching and searching and searching and craving and craving and craving those berries that you found last week and trying to find them this week because you needed to survive. That's what dopamine was for. But now... Dopamine leads us to crave things we don't benefit from, things like gambling or alcohol or too much sex, craving, 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 and then satisfying the craving. And when you don't satisfy the craving, you get what I'm simply calling a dopamine crash. So I send him a text the next day, even though I know he has the busiest day I could ever imagine um, on a very important project with people coming in to review his work. And so I don't want to bother him, but I do send him a text. And he sends me a very brief text back saying, you know, thanks, um, it's going well, we have a long way to go. So I figure if he wants to reach out before Monday, he'll reach out. So I reach out to him on Sunday and ask him if we're still on for the date. I found a place for us what time, and that sort of thing. And he tells me, it's too late. Um, he met somebody else over the weekend, and he's going to focus on one person, um, and he wishes me well. So I experienced a dopamine crash. And I asked him, what was it? What was it that made you doubt enough in me? And he said, I needed somebody more available. And when you ended our call to go and kiss your daughter goodnight and didn't offer to call me back, I knew that I would not be your priority. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> he was right. But at the time, I didn't really feel that way. At the time, I felt, oh, no, you've misinterpreted. I can balance. I can integrate. It'll be fine. But keep in mind, 
we had two Venn diagrams of the word companion, and I have no idea how much those overlapped. And possibly, they didn't overlap nearly as much as I originally thought. So let's talk about the thought that then was hooking me and creating despair in me. Back to that friend I had in the conference, I had one of those holy shit, I'm gonna die alone moments. And I know you're probably shaking your head going, Denise, that's really ridiculous. You've only had a phone conversation with this person. Um, tell that to my brain. My brain thought uh, you found your soulmate and screwed it up. You had your chance and you blew it. That's what my brain was telling me. <laughs> and you know, we talk about shoulds. And yes, there's a whole podcast on the word should. Um, my brain was saying should to itself and to me so much. If only I had called him back. If only I had called him from the road on the trip. Never mind that it was dark, I was in traffic, I was trying to program the GPS and the book and the music. Anyways, it probably wouldn't have been that safe to have a phone conversation. But my brain was saying you should have called him back. You should have texted him from Tahoe. You should have called him. So all of this is forcing energy, this forcing, this trying to make things happen. And I bet you, if I had done all those things, I could have forced a situation where he thought that I might be the one who could be his companion. Shoulds are language of scarcity. And the universe matches feeling with feeling. It matches scarcity with scarcity. So I knew I had to get out of that. I had to get out of feeling despair, regret, grief, because those were only going to make me feel worse. I actually looked up the term dopamine crash just to validate what I was feeling. And it was hilarious. It said, even the most regulated brain cannot avoid the gloomy effects that a major change in dopamine levels can cause. I thought, gloomy? Well, that's a cute word. I think it's more like existential agony, but okay, I'll take gloomy. Uh, gloomy was when, as a child, my parents promised to take me to the circus. At least, that's what I recall. They said it wasn't a promise. But I was all set to go to the circus, and I lived in this small town where nothing ever happened, so the circus was a big deal. And then they, they told me, no, we're not going to the circus. That was gloomy. I remember that so well. So parents, leaders, um, please don't promise anything unless you can deliver it. Please don't promise your employees a bonus unless you absolutely know you can do it. We feel uh, dopamine crashes when we have to cancel a vacation that we've been looking forward to. Um, so when something big happens and we don't get it, we feel very, very pained. But we have to get ourselves out of that place or we will continue to feel this sense of wanting, of lacking, of not having. And I got to tell you people, I am good at forcing things to happen. We all are. Uh, some of you have probably gotten degrees in things that you forced yourself to do, but you didn't want to do. That was one area that I have to say I did not force. Uh, I got a degree in something I love, the French language, and a degree in liberal arts, which is a bucket of everything, from science to religion to art. Um, I got to study everything. 
at Stanford with like some of the best professors in the world. But believe me, I have forced myself into things that um, I had no business doing, jobs I had no business doing. I once forced myself to get a house in a very tight housing market that every cell in my body was telling me it was going to be a bad house for us, but I just wanted to land somewhere quick and not have to rent. Um, so I forced it. I wrote a beautiful letter. Uh, we probably paid too much money. So you can do it. You can strive and struggle and make things happen. But you're going to be making the wrong things happen. So the alternative to trying and struggling and wanting is allowing and receiving and accepting and doing just enough and then allowing things to take the right course. And emotionally, the opposite of striving and lacking is gratitude. Gratitude takes us out of the past, regret, out of the future, wanting, into the present and fullness. It is the feeling of plentitude, enoughness. And neurologically, gratitude is like taking an antidepressant. It is the emotion of abundance. Forcing, wanting, despairing is all about scarcity. And in scarcity mode, you can still acquire things, but you will never feel abundant. It will never be enough. And you may acquire the wrong things like I did with the house. So grief is one of the most powerful emotions. When we say we have heartache, it is not just metaphorical. Grief affects the cardiovascular system which then affects the autonomic system, the immune system, and the endocrine system. When your heart is aching, when your heart is out of rhythm, it affects the coherence of all of your cells. That is what grief does to us. It feels like there is a hole in our heart. You've, we've all probably experienced grief at some point in our lives. And I'm just going back to when I lost my best friend. So how do you manage grief with gratitude? So let me just take you through some steps, uh, and then we're going to get to gratitude. But the first thing um, is to just cry. Just cry your heart out, because crying doesn't make us weak. It doesn't make us weaker. It is like letting the valve off, letting the steam off, letting the pressure out. It gives us a vent to the pain, and then helps us give us some space to make changes. Then we need to find things immediately in our vicinity to feel grateful for. Maybe it's the love that um, the person that we're grieving for gave us. Maybe it's the support of loved ones around us. Look for anything around you. Maybe it's the sun on a blade of grass or sidewalks that somebody built. You have no idea who or when, but it makes it safe for you to walk around. Uh, electricity, clothes, cotton. It allows you to land back in your heart and start to fill that hole in your heart. So grieving with gratitude lets us appreciate the things that we still have. 
For example, maybe you just got fired from your job and you are grieving for the loss of that opportunity, the loss of that salary, the ego hit, you're grieving. But you can feel grateful for the ability you have to find other jobs because you know you've found jobs in the past, so why can't you find one now? Maybe you can feel grateful for the freedom you have. Maybe you can feel grateful that you no longer have to go in and face that horrible boss that you hated anyways. Find things that are real that you can feel honestly grateful for. Step three, be seen. Talk to somebody who won't try and fix you, won't give you platitudes, but will just say, that sucks and I love you. You don't need to be fixed. You need a container, somebody that sees you and that can hold you. And by all means, if you don't have somebody in your life who can do that, go elsewhere. You can get um, help that you pay for in the form of a coach or a therapist. Um, you can get a counselor. Um, you can read a book. The one book I recommend whenever somebody tells me a story of their grief is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. Uh, I recently opened it up again myself, and I recently recommended it to a former client who reached out to me and just wanted to thank me for the work we did a couple years ago and that he still uses the tools and that he and his family were going through a really rough time, and he shared one of the reasons why. And I told him about the book, <laughs> and within a week, he had devoured the book and emailed me back and had quoted the book and then said, I love this book and I love you. <laughs> I was just like, and believe me, that was not a romantic gesture. <laughs> um, he's just um, a man who's willing to be vulnerable and um, speak the love. So if you can't find a book, if you can't find a person, find music. Find music that resonates with you. Music will also help you change your state. So it's one thing to listen to music that helps you feel seen, uh, whether it's a sad country ballad, I don't know what that is, that helps you feel seen, but then you need to upregulate. You need to listen to music that helps your higher self be seen. I had a friend who was in a deep depression, and he was stuck. And one day, one morning, about 2 a.m., he went to a 24-hour fitness, and nobody was there except the person working there. He said, hey, can we plug in my music into the speaker system? And the person said, sure, I don't know, why not? And they proceeded to blast the music, and he had a two-hour workout where he was sweating, and he shifted his state. He literally, in that two hours, shifted his state, lifted his depression long enough to see light and proceeded to turn his life around. So um, don't underestimate the power of words on paper or vibrations of sound in music. And when it comes to seeking professional help, um, man, there is no shame in asking for a therapist. Just find one that works for you. Um, when I was getting a divorce, I was in huge despair and grief, and I had heard good things about EMDR, that's eye movement therapy, and I had one session, and I felt so much more peace after one session. Um, after my daughter was born, it was my 
first and only child, and I had no idea that what I was going through was not normal. And um, I didn't get help soon enough. And about a year later, I was told that I had experienced what they're now calling postpartum anxiety disorder. And I went to a naturopath, and she was doing EMFT therapy on me, which is um, tapping, emotional therapy, emotional um, release technique. And she said that my brain believed that if I went to sleep, my daughter would die. And I looked at her and I said, well, that's just crazy. I said, and you're right. That's true. <laughs> that is what my brain is saying. And I didn't know it. It was my subconscious. So uh, I now, of course, don't have that belief anymore, but um, I'm still working on balancing my endocrine system. So we can shift our state, but that's not enough. If you carry around that painful thought without upgrading it, you are going to go right back, right back to that state of despair and wanting and scarcity. So you have to buy yourself time by managing your state so that you can actually manage your brain instead of just looping the painful thought over and over and over. That woman in my workshop who thought she was going to die alone but now had the new upgraded thought, that upgraded thought was not as strong as the old thought. So she was going to have to repeat it again and again and again until it took hold and became her default thought. And back to me and making it real, that's what I was going to have to do too. I consciously knew I needed to create space, I needed to change my state, and then upgrade the thought. And I will add that there was one more thing I did before all of this, and it was taking Tylenol. I know that sounds really dumb, but Tylenol affects the DAC system of the brain, the dorsal anterior cingulate circuit. And that is the part of the brain that creates physical pain, which is why Tylenol helps if you um, stub your toe. But it also creates social pain, that pain you feel from relationships. Now, I'm not suggesting you do this all the time. Tylenol is not great for your liver, and studies have shown it also tends to numb other positive emotions as well, but it can help you by time. So for me, I did that. I called my mom, so I was seen, and then I kept my appointment for my workout on this new machine I've been using called a VASPER system, V-A-S-P-E-R. You can go look it up. It is this crazy machine that is created to help heal people, help heal inflammation, heal um, the endocrine system, and it is a 21-minute high-intensity workout that emulates a two-hour workout without you feeling like you had a two-hour workout, and it uses cooling to keep you from overheating and creating too much lactic acid like you would if you were in two hours of CrossFit. So it's a pretty crazy machine. And um, it is also going to affect your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system in a positive way. So I'd done it a couple of times and had okay results. And um, I went to do that. I kept my appointment. And I also listened to the audiobook um, that I talked about in the beginning, You Are the Placebo. And I happened to be on the chapter that talked about the emotion gratitude and changing your mind to change your beliefs, to change your state. Uh, and so all these things came together, and I was able to find an upgraded thought during that 21 minutes, 
And by the end of the 21 minutes, I had shifted the neurochemicals in my brain and body such that I was so over flooded with gratitude and happiness and peace that it was kind of nuts. I had this grin on my face. I had tears of joy and gratitude coming down my face. So um, I, I, it was just like a perfect combination of things. I don't know what exactly would have happened without the Vasper machine, but I do know that I now have a thought upgrade that I believe and that is working with me. So my upgrade, remember my painful belief was um, I screwed up. I met my soulmate and because I screwed it up, I am now not with that person and I'm going to die alone. <laughs> so my upgrade was he was not my person because I showed him my real self, myself who is a caring mother. And he decided we were not a match. And he had a sound reason because that was absolutely true of me. So someone else must be his match and someone else must be mine. I also believed that he was brought into my life to be proof that I am capable of finding an amazing person, and it's okay that I have high standards. And as to all those shoulds I was telling myself, I now believed that I behaved exactly in the manner I needed to. My caution, uh, my uh, spending time with my daughter instead of spending time talking to him before the date, if I had not we would have possibly mistaken each other, become very close, only to create greater heartbreak down the road. Now, this is all a story, folks, right? We get to create whatever stories we want about our reality. And some of you might be going, what is this soulmate business? It doesn't matter. You get to believe whatever you get to believe. But make sure your thoughts are working for you. Make sure your beliefs are aligned with what you want in the world. And I believed these thoughts. So this person's life had recently been completely upended by loss. He was ungrounded. He had recently had to move. He had suffered a tragedy in his family. And he was on a mission to solve the equation that would bring him peace, roots, and joy. And in this equation, there was only one solution for X. And while he may have thought wonderfully of me, I was not the solution. You can't force a solution into the equation. I know I'm a language person here, but I know enough about math from helping my daughter that you cannot just throw anything into an equation and expect it to work. When it comes to engineering, the machine will fail. I had shown my authentic self, and believe me, I have a lot of love to give. But when it comes to priorities, I come first. And then my daughter, in that order. And she knows it, and she loves that I take care of myself. Because I can't take care of her unless I take care of myself and unless I am whole. And it is working. I have healed myself from things that um, are often thought impossible to heal from. My podiatrist recently this week said, I have never met anybody who ever healed neuropathy. Well, I told her, I've also healed rheumatoid arthritis. And I was born without a ball and a hip socket, and I grew them. So, yeah, bring it on. No, please don't, actually. I'm not asking for that. But what I know is that my mind is capable of amazing things. My body is capable of amazing things. 
And that takes some effort and help. So I think I balance all these elements pretty darn well. And somebody out there is going to feel like I have plenty of time for them. Somebody is going to be happy that I prioritize myself and my daughter. Even my dog had surgery this week. So while I'm not going to put him on the top of the totem pole, I am going to tell you that my dog needs help. I am going to, you know, do my duty as his master. So I know that I will find a person, and I don't think there's just one person out there, but I know that I will find a person that not only sees me for who I am, but wants that in their life. And I feel the same thing about that person. So I have to keep repeating this upgrade. I have to keep, like you will have to keep doing, practicing gratitude. You can always find something to feel grateful for. Just look around your environment. It is impossible to feel gratitude and depressed at the same time. You may still have the stress hormone cortisol running through your system when you're practicing gratitude because it has a half-life of about an hour, but you will interrupt the thought loop that is causing you pain. And when you couple that interruption with really letting gratitude, which is that feeling of wholeness, then gradually and eventually you will fill that hole that is created in your heart with grief. It doesn't mean that you won't ever feel sadness when you think about this thing, but it will be a whole different kind of feeling that feels smooth instead of rough, that feels tinged with light and love and not just pain. So please keep practicing. Find your thought upgrade that you believe and that makes you feel better, and then repeat it over and over. You're going to need to not just repeat it when you notice yourself thinking the old thought, but find cues, like dumb things, like opening your car door, switching on a light, checking your phone. Checking your phone is a brilliant cue because we do it all the time. Just think, if every time you turned on your phone or you know turned on the screen on your phone, you said to yourself, this thing that you believe that produces not cortisol in your system, but serotonin, oxytocin, and an overall sense of peace, instead of longing, peace. And I want to leave you with a thought upgrade that I've probably mentioned in the past. But what if you decided to think that things happen for us, not to us. To recognize the reality that everything is impermanent and everything is a gift. If you believe that, then you're going to start looking for the gift all around you and noticing the gifts that you take for granted. I've been doing this, and when I think about how I grew up, and where I grew up. I'm so grateful that I found my vocation. I'm so grateful that I found a place to live that feeds me, that I have a beautiful home and a beautiful daughter, 
and that I have this amazing self-healing body that keeps getting knocked down but comes back stronger. I'm even grateful for the gift of my clingy, needy, overprotective, anxious, very smart, very loyal rescue dog, Andy. And I am grateful for this time to be without a life partner and to figure out what I need and who I am. And I am grateful for the man who will arrive at the right time and will recognize me and I will recognize him and who will solve for why in my equation. I will continue to bring my authentic self to every day and every interaction. And when I do eventually find my life partner, we will both continue to grow into the better and best versions of ourselves with each other's help. This is a journey, my friend, and I am so glad to be on it with you. Please know that when you're hurting, you are not alone. People don't talk about their grief, but everybody is walking around with something. Be that container for others. Find others who can be that container for you to hold the space for you. And be kind to yourself. My best advice that I can give you is to start practicing gratitude right now and let yourself genuinely feel the gift of accepting that everything is just as it needs to be, that you are blessed, that your life is blessed, that you are whole. Nothing will happen to you that you cannot handle. There's going to be pain, but you can heal your heart with gratitude. So please practice during the easy times so that muscle is strong and it's easier for you to access during the hard times when you need it most. I am also grateful for you. Thank you for listening. Have a beautiful, gratitude-filled day. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.